And it really is a great organizational tool because it's like, let's throw in a bunch of interludes that strengthen <laughs> these You can do whatever you want. Yeah. It, yeah, it's <laughs> anything. But also, anything at all. what's Channel Orange? Mm. Do you guys have any thoughts? Because I have the answer. But do you guys have Where's any thoughts? From? <laughs> Damn it, Jonas, uh, that's not fun. Louisiana? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll go for the special. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Waiting for Stir Fry. This is Jonas. I'm joined by Edwin and Sarah. Say hello, guys. Hi. Hello. All right. And today we're talking about something new. Today we're talking about the album Channel Orange by singer-songwriter Frank Ocean. Uh, released in 2012. Genre somewhere between R&B, neo-soul, funk, jazz, pop. You know, it's a real it's a real uh, genre bender. It's a lot. Uh <laughs> TLDR, widespread critical acclaim. Uh, it brought Frank to the forefront of pop culture. Um, you know, given that, you know, the album is clearly accessible, but, and the reason we're talking about it today is it's got meat, it's got substance. Each track is a sort of detailed emotional story. You know, we sort of composite them into these channels, hence the title of the album, Channel Orange. It's sort of flipping through the TV of Frank's mind, however we'll phrase this. Uh, are we going to stick to Frank or Mr. Ocean? Do we have a preference? I flip back and forth between Frank and Ocean. I don't know. I, I like Frank. <laughs> All right, it does sound more personal, I think. Yeah. Let's go with Frank. Okay, so yeah, we're kind of flipping through perspectives, Frank's included. Get a lot of different stories here. So let's get some pre-spoiler thoughts, opinions. And maybe a favorite song if you have one. Okay, I think I'll go first. I have only listened to one track in this album, good old Thinking About You, which was my sister's PTSD song she gave me <laughs> when we were younger. I, I, I did not realize this album was this old. Um, Eight years? Yeah. Uh, that's not my favorite track. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, Lost is my favorite track from here. And I think Pyramid is the best track here. That's my I opinion. think that's right. Yeah. So thoughts on the mm -hmm. whole thing? I think it's great. I think it really works well with that sort of premise of a, of a channel switching. And I think the, the, the actual content of each song is fairly well done. And I, I, and on top of that, I think they're actually very well done songs with a lot of interesting depth to the to the music quality in them. So I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Cool, Sarah. Yeah, I pretty much agree. I think um, I agree that Pyramid is the best, probably the best song on the album. I like that one a lot. I think the one I've listened to most though is actually Sweet Life. Hmm. I don't know something about it. Just like the the melody. Um, the bass is very like bouncy. Mm. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun song to listen to. Um, oh, that's the Gran Turismo yeah, I mean, music. <laughs> right, that's what you said. Um, yeah, I'd heard like a couple songs on the album a while back, but hadn't listened to the whole thing all the way through. Uh, but after you know listening to it a few times, looking at the lyrics, there's clearly like a lot of depth to it, and I feel like I've, I don't know, I feel like going back, there's always more to kind of take from it. Um, mm. which is, which is cool. Just, you know, I haven't done like a super thorough analysis of it. So I feel like there's just more in there that I haven't even 
thought of. Um, but yeah, it's a good album. Definitely flows flows really well from beginning to end. It's fun to listen to as an album. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I will not deviate from the opinion that it's a great album. I love this album. It's one of my favorites. I mean, I've listened to this at least 100 times. It's, uh, I mean, it's just, I have it downloaded on Spotify so I can listen to it on planes. It's one of those things. Uh, you guys touched on this already, but it sounds great for many reasons. It's sonically interesting. It's really effective and efficient in its storytelling. And I think it shows off in a really great way, great meaning excessively, how popular music can be a non-trivial art. A studio album doesn't have to be 10 singles put out for the record company. And I think that's, you know, part of the reason I chose it today is not a thing that people look at often in that way. Um, as for a favorite song, really depends on the day. Mm. I think the best song is, again, Pyramids. Just 10 minutes of fantastic. It really integrates everything about the album. But uh, Lately Fertilizer is my favorite track, that 30 what? seconds of, uh, <laughs> of Jingle. <laughs> Because it is an actual song. There is a full song that that is borrowed from. But yeah. even back in the day when I didn't know it was a full song, I would just play that little bit because it's so catchy. <laughs> Such a jingle. Maybe um, you should listen to the actual song. Oh, I have many, many times. <laughs> um, this is a different medium than something we usually cover. Uh, it's not usually something people think about as like, hey, I'm going to really extract the themes from the new fucking Lady Gaga album or something. So it's it's interesting in that way. And I think it's it's worth reflecting maybe for a minute on sort of your approach to it because, well, like it's so variable, right? The music can be listened to in so many ways, you know, varying from yeah. this is just what plays when I'm in traffic to I paid $600 for this. I'm at the orchestra, I'm closing my eyes and glaring at people that clap in between uh, <laughs> movements. So, I, uh, yeah, let's, let's hear some thoughts, if you have any. All right, I'll go first. So I, 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 I've never bothered to listen to any album decidedly from start to finish. I think it's, I find that so I hard never, to believe. never had that sort of drive. There's, there's, there's albums that... I, I have listened to them, <laughs> but not with the intent of understanding or, or, or analyzing them, right? Like, it's just right. like, oh, I just want to listen to this, this whole thing, you know, like soundtracks for things and the like. Um, so I first watched it, uh, sorry, listened to it the first time just blindly with no no knowledge of, of the content of it. And um, I enjoyed it thoroughly, but I didn't particularly derive much meaning out of some of the songs here and in many others I actually derived the completely opposite meaning of what eventually i found <laughs> out <laughs> uh then i watched i listened to it again and this time i listened to it while reading the lyrics for each song which clarified a little bit more of it i, mean, I think that, that some of the detail of what's going on in the songs can be hard to catch on just a simple listen I think, uh, I think, Jonas, you've listened to this thing over and over again. I think that does definitely clarify the song more. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I just went and looked at that, that compared what, what I gathered from that second perusal of the song with the lyrics against what some commentary I found on each. And uh, I thought I thought that was a very worthwhile sort of approach to it, at least in, in my appreciation of the songs. For example... 
there were some songs here that I actually would want to listen to now that I understand what's going on in them that I would not mm. have otherwise. And I don't know if that's a criticism yeah. of the medium. Uh, like, you know, now I can't, I can't go back and think, well, does that mean that it takes something away if you don't catch that the first time? I'm very biased because uh, usually when I get some medium that really impacts me, it's because it's of the first watch. Something catches me there, you know, whether it be a game or, or a movie. And this doesn't do that. So I don't know. I don't know. Well, I guess what I'm saying is when you look at what a good piece is supposed to make you feel, is the expectation that it makes you feel that on the first go as you watch it or that it has to be extracted from it later, you know? Mm. And I, I feel like that's a tough one. Yeah. I think that's a tough one, and I think it really depends on the song. Like, I've had this conversation with other people before, but, like, there are there are good songs that I really like that, like, if you listen... If I listen to an album, like, I'll pick out that song and say, like, hey, I really like that one. I want to listen to it again. But more often than not, maybe that's just because, like, the the song is catchy in some way. Like, right. maybe not necessarily because of the meaning of the song. But then there are also songs, like, if you happen to listen to them over and over again, you like them more and more. Or you understand them more and more, like, with each listen. Right. So I feel like, I don't know if there's, I don't think there's one answer to that, but... A good, I'm saying, I guess a song could be good and catch you on the first time you listen to it, or it could be good, but it takes a little more digesting before you realize it. Mm. Sure. And I think it's a really good point to point out the the separate axis that is catchiness, because like that's a really complicated thing. Well, not necessarily catchiness is complicated, but knowing what's good and quality and what's catchy is sort of a is a balance to strike as an artist and mm -hmm. also as a listener. Yeah, I think. I think to sum up what my thoughts were on it, I, I thought it was a very different experience in trying to in, inter, uh, internalize this as a piece versus something like a movie um, where you can take a lot of the, the, the powerful statements that that film can convey on the first watch. Yeah. And part of yeah, that could just be, you know, what you're used to. Absolutely. Because, like, yeah, I mean, it, it, you watch a lot of movies, you kind of know what to look for. Um I, I, in my listens, in my hundred plus listens, <laughs> I definitely traveled that journey of like not knowing anything to like, oh, wow, there's so much here. And now I can look forward to seeing this particular feature. And I, I know why this song works. And it's, uh, it's a very different experience, but it can still be very, uh, visceral. Like it's, you enjoy it at the start because it's like catchy and it sounds good. And at the end, the understanding doesn't take away from that. And can augment it. Again, mileage may vary. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you guys, well, at least Edwin, we'll see if Sarah liked it, enjoyed the, uh, or thought the approach of um, do the rough listen first, the uninformed listen, and then the close reading, because that really shortcuts about 100 listens. Yeah, I think I think it was pretty effective. But like I said, I also think that there are a lot of things I probably missed. But, um, hmm. you know, reading through the lyrics definitely helps, you know, especially with the annotations to look at afterwards helps gather like what possible meanings for this could be. And, you know, a lot of times reading those annotations, you may disagree with them too, but um, it, it helps, helps you think about it. And I think also one thing I wanted to bring up too, is like, there's people listen to music different ways, right? Like I know mm -hmm. I'm someone who listens to a song and like, I do listen to the lyrics, even if I'm just kind of listening to it 
like I may not try and like analyze it for you know themes, but I've listened to what's going on in the song. Like I've had people say like, oh, this I really like this song. Like listen to it, and I'm like, wait, this song is like, like the lyrics are really sad. Did you know that? And they're like, oh no, I didn't listen to the lyrics at all. And I'm like, oh okay. <laughs> so I think like something like that too. It kind of depends on what your listening style is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not even just the binary. Are you listening for words versus you know just trying to get a good feeling out of it? Also like. Uh, you know, I don't know, I've had people say, all your songs are sad, and I'm like, why is that a bad thing, you know? <laughs> like it's, you, you could be trying to feel good, you could be trying to feel depth, or just something different. It's it, Your mileage may vary, I think is my, my slogan for this, uh, but it's good to know the options. Um, yeah, quick note on the annotations. Uh, I mean, I think we probably all use Genius annotations, uh, like Genius.com's annotations, which is sort of crowdsourced. That is a great first cut, especially for like slang and, you know, the obvious things that you might not know. Once you get into the more like nuanced, detailed analysis, let's do the, there's a, there's a low ceiling on that, on that website, but uh, an alternative to that. Uh, and I'll plug this right now because I really appreciate what it is. It's this podcast called Dissect, which uh, really just takes apart albums and breaks them down track by track um, and just digs into the music and the words and sort of the overall themes. And that sort of informed how I viewed this album and, you know, subsequent albums that I listened to. So if you're interested in that, that's something to go check out. Um, but... I think it's time we start diving into the actual thing here, the work. Um, Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> uh, so I guess first point, overall structure, what's going on in the album? How is it broken down? We already said that it's set up in this sort of uh, channel flipping structure where you hear a lot of interludes, you hear a lot of sounds indicating, you know, we're changing channels, we're listening to an ad, we're listening to mm -hmm. bits from... I don't know, some random TV show. And then throughout, we've got, I think it's like 16 tracks that, mm -hmm. you know, just cover a whole range of things. I think if I had to give a grounding statement, what binds the 16 tracks and stories and channels together is that it's looking at love through the overlapping lenses of money, sex, addiction, and religion. And, you know, this is sort of like a first cut trying to boil things down. But I think it sort of gets the point across. Um... Mm -hmm. I think that's the first yeah. assessment of, of the stories here in these songs. All right. Cool. I'm glad the 100 hours or the 100 listens really paid off in, in that, <laughs> on that front. Yeah, that's what I got from it after one listen as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two listens. Oh, my God. Listen. But, but, I, okay. listen, but I listen. I'm just kidding. I listen to joke. Lost five hours straight. Oh my I god, no you didn't. I, don't, I did, I was I working don't know on that a, that is a I, was, plus. <laughs> I was working on a model and I just had it looping in my ear. Great song. <laughs> wow. It's a, all right. It's a tune. It's a tune for sure. Uh so in terms of <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what we actually cover in the album, mm -hmm. I think we can break it down into sort of groups. The first set of tracks and the last set of tracks start covering Frank's uh what do you call it? Um Love. Sort of an, a, a, Frank's love, yes. <laughs> I guess almost... we should maybe mention the like the preface Tumblr post as well. Oh, yes. Uh, okay. Let's let me give the overview of all of the whole thing, and then we'll jump into that for the first set because the sure, first set sure, sure. is sort of autobiographical. 
It's Frank talking about uh, someone that he loved and did not quite love him in the same way. And that is then a vehicle for him reconciling himself with the, you know, sort of a bisexual identity, um, which is a non-trivial thing in the sort of culture of, you know, in the culture of hip-hop and black culture, so on and so forth. Uh, so that's the first one, and the last set of tracks are about that. In the meantime, we look at thing, at songs that uh, talk about money, talk about having money, not having money, the impacts of that on your relationships, on how you uh, view the world. Then addiction, whether that's to, to someone and then, or to, more directly, narcotics. Then we start getting to what I call the synthesis tracks, which are pyramids and lost, <laughs> which basically boil down the entire album. If you had to listen to two songs to get the whole gist of the album, maybe these two, because they span the whole space. We got women, we got drugs, we got money. And then the last set, or the penultimate set, the bad that set. I mentioned, the it's, it's a tough set because <laughs> it doesn't quite fit in the same way. Because obviously we're talking about vices, about money and addiction and sex. And then you get to religion. And it's not really talking about religion like an actual faith. It's talking more about love as a religion and yeah. maybe taking religious overtones mm-hmm. to like uh, sort of couch the messages in, which is neat. But also, yeah, I would agree with them. They're not my favorite set. I do think, however, that they the way they ramp into the last set of autobiographical tracks is good, uh, and we'll get into that. Um, I feel like those. I feel like those, like Bad Religion, Pink Matter, and Monks, made me think the most because yeah. they were like they confused me the most. I guess. Oh yeah. <laughs> or like I had to, I had to think the most to try and understand like what the what the message was. I think that's right. Yeah, for me that that experience was very frustrating. I did not enjoy. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like you gotta, monks you in a mosh pit what does it mean <laughs> oh, what no, 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 could no, no, this no. possibly no, mean the moment I, the monks clicks in that it's about groupies I was like nah I don't care about any of this it's not about groupies <laughs> I mean it sort of is about groupies but it's not all about groupies alright we'll get there let's jump into yeah. the first set of, the first set we have uh, an in, uh, sort of a prelude called start we have thinking about you we have fertilizer start is maybe 30 seconds of ambient noise and just like voices dreamily saying uh what the hell is excuse it? me uh, they look they look like what no ambient noise it's the playstation right <laughs> no hang on we're getting there there's there's a progression here it's not just like yeah, yeah. somebody gets home there's steps somebody gets home somebody no 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 somebody wakes up no and somebody gets home S- somebody wakes up edwin there's this big there's a door somebody saying, leaves. there's what are you talking about? Somebody leaves at the start <laughs> or enters. I don't know. It's hard to figure that out in this song. From what I heard, this is what I heard, and I think other people have agreed with me on this, is uh, everyone knows it. Um, you hear you hear these people talking. You hear the iPhone ringtone, the 2007 iPhone ringtone go off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, uh, all of this in like a sort of ambient noise sort of dreamy reverb around which is a whole thing for this whole thing and then that stops like on a dime and you hear a breath in as if someone is waking up and then you hear someone getting up walking over to the tv turning it on turning on their playstation you hear the playstation logo and then someone yes, they start correct. playing street fighter and that's i know this I is true it. 
<laughs> well, that is true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was just messing with you by agreeing with Edwin before. Ah, oh, jeez. I, I agree. Sarah, don't do this to me. Don't do this to the <laughs> listeners. Listen, I'm just saying. <laughs> they won't know who to trust. It's not, it's not not that difficult to believe that my perspective is what's going on. <laughs> no, I mean, there's definitely a TV turning on at the end, which is the important part. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. Gets he, home. He stepped I, into, I don't know. At the end, someone gets home. Uh, the track is like, 20 seconds long. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Are we, yeah, we're arguing for like 30, you know, three Come minutes let's, about let's 30 seconds here. worth. But that happens. Um, and then we jump into, well, it's a note on that. Like Sarah said, we set up the TV motif because we hear someone boot it up. Yeah. That sort of gets us into that space. Mm-hmm. And then we jump into thinking about I you. I will say like the first time I listened to it, I did not realize that like the TV thing was happening throughout the album. Really? Maybe because I was listening to it. I was listening to it in the background. I mean, I heard like obviously the noises like between mm-hmm. the songs, but I didn't, you know, associate it with like a channel being clicked. Um, mm-hmm. Once I realized that, I was like, "Oh, it makes a lot of sense." Yeah, yeah. You know, channel <laughs> orange. It's TV channel. Yeah, I'm watching it on their PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> so the deal with the PlayStation, I'll just quickly throw this in. It's a tie-in to the previous studio album in which it's Saturday, sort of like the, the the sister album where he does the same thing but with a tape recorder. Um, one of the songs is called Street Fighter and he's waking up. It's a, it's the same sort of uh, hmm. situation, just kind of it's presented differently in that in that album. Mm. Uh, but I, I might touch on that later, but that's how I know. There is inter-album consistency which I'll touch on later. Moving mm. on. <laughs> we jump into Thinking About You, which is about unrequited love. Frank is hanging out in his room. He's thinking like, uh, hey, Thinking I'm, about you. Well, I, yeah, I guess so. Um, I think the, the sort of story to tell, the, the way the verses are lined up are great. You have him presenting, sort of evading his feelings for this person by saying, sort of deflecting like, oh, I don't love you, I just thought you were cute, and then immediately making that deflection overt by presenting another lie. lie. Uh, i got a fighter jet, I don't get to fly it, though. It's things like this, just overt lies stacked on top of each other, sort of meant to illustrate that, uh, you know, conflict, that back and forth, that, oh, I don't want to show that, mm-hmm. I, that I'm being rejected here or that I'm being hurt. And then the break in the bridge is sort of this change where the sonic landscape changes and we get sort of a confession of like, of course, I remember these feelings. No, they'll never die. They'll hold on to them. And it's a good thing. Um, And yeah, that's sort of that track. Sarah, thoughts, if you had some there? No, I was just going to mention how, um, I, mean, I don't know if for sure if it's the most popular song from the album, but it plays well as just like, oh, it oh, is. Yeah. It like, definitely a, is. like a single, <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> but like the, the, do you not think so far ahead, I think is probably like the, the big, you know, message from that song. It's like, Frank is here thinking about forever. And meanwhile, this, this other person isn't, you know, doesn't feel the same way. But right. um, the the other thing I was going to mention is that it's kind of bookended by like these two um, interlude type songs that are on the TV, and I thought that was interesting because it's kind of like thinking about you is like separated from the rest of the album and like isolated, almost like it's kind of like a topic sentence. Like here's what this this album is kind of going to be about, and then we go into it. Mm. I think that's right because fertilizer is definitely like a 
thinking about you definitely sticks out from like the tracks that follow it because you kind of you start off with something about frank and then you kind of pivot away from it only to come mm-hmm. back to it in the end so i think that's true i think that's right i i liked how gender neutral this song is yeah. I don't think it, I, I don't think it has any mention of gender here. Um, right. Yeah, so that's I, that's the other thing I mentioned as I I noted as well just cuz it's like listening to it it could really be about like anyone or anything. Yes, it's it's sure. fairly general, but it's also like like if you know what the album is about then it's clearly about that, but it's also like it it could be, you know, relatable for anyone, which was why I think it's probably such a popular song. Right. So why don't we jump into what the album is, or part of what the album is about that you're referencing to here is sort of explained in the in the what is known as the open letter that Frank posted on Tumblr right before the album dropped, um, where basically you know gives a, a whole page and a half basically to say that well, when I was 19 I fell in love with a man and it changed my life. Uh, they didn't feel the same way, and. I just spent a long time dealing with that. And so here it is. I'm presenting it in this album, partially. And I tried to channel channel overwhelming emotion. And channel. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> and you get uh, sort of the two bits about this album. The two cores of this album is we're going to talk about Frank and that love. And we're going to talk about overwhelming emotion that's being challenged, or channeled. Um, so yeah, I will say on your gender point that there is one thing he does say, uh, what? my eyes don't shed tears, but boy, they pour, boy, they pour is not gender neutral. So that's like a, your first hint at, ah, haha. I mean, okay, it's, there's it's not no gonna, way, well, there's no way it's to not going to change mean. the relatability. And I will <laughs> say, hold on, hold on, wait, because that line is a reference. Oh, that line is a reference oh, to another boy. song. Here we go. Oh, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> no, I, I, this is going to be like the one example where I kind of hit detail. But it is a good illustrating example, I think, probably to dwell on this song because it sort of presents a lot, of what the te- a lot of the techniques that are used in the album. One of them being this song, It Never Rains in Southern California. It just is, hey, Southern California is great, but then it's not. Uh, but the line is, it never rains in Southern California, but girl, don't they warn you it pours. So like, it is kind of a, a, a clear reversal of that. Um, and I think it's fine because it's, uh, I think it makes sense. It's, it's your first hint at, ah, gay things, <laughs> bisexual I, I, things. I, well, I do note the fact that it is very gender neutral and how the song is presented. I think the rest of the album does a very poor job at that, at, at a first glance at conveying anything more about bisexuality, at least for me. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's at the end. That's it's sort of a, a bookend structure, which is debatable on how effective it is to me, because it, it almost feels disjointed in a way. I also feel hesitant to have to go back and read a letter to contextualize it. <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's. Really I think fair. there's an argument about death of the author here <laughs> when it comes to listening <laughs> to this, but yeah. I think it definitely adds death to to the meaning of the song. It's just it's just hard to balance that against well I am listening to the song on its own without that context right. so mm-hmm. I think and, that's and an I will interesting say that balance I think that's an important thing to point out but I do think you know while we're taking that note there is of course the other things that makes this song worth listening to on its own 
right? Just something that I guess I'll note now is just the the vocal, just because I haven't said it yet, and I just want to list the great things musically about this album, is that the vocal performances are great. Frank has a great range, and it's yep. you know used emotively. Um, there's a lot of intentional orchestration, arranging, where like throughout the song, throughout the choruses, the the arrangement and the instruments kind of drop in, drop out. He throws mm-hmm. in harmonies, like layered vocal harmonies that drop in, drop out. And generally, they tend to just intensify the song when it needs to. Uh, but I think it's just worth noting that it's it's good because it's detailed. It's intentional. You got a lot of this left-right panning, yep. which is fun. Uh, is fun. And I think it demonstrates intent. Uh, I think in this song, it also ties into the sort of dream state that we were in the previous song, in the in the start pre- yeah. prelude, mm-hmm. where you just kind of feel things moving around you. Yeah, I think I think musically, this song sets a very consistent tone that the rest of the album follows. Not because the songs sound the same, but because they have that same dreamy feel that you you just mentioned. Mm. And and I think that just leads to a cohesion on top of the the structural use of of you know the channel switching. I think it just feels like a part of a whole listening to this because of that mm-hmm. yeah having uh, said that i, I don't want to hear this song ever again in my life <laughs> i've listened to this a billion times uh, edwin the inex- inexhaustibility of art come on um <laughs> but fair uh, i want to throw in one more note about references because this is also something that comes up a lot in the album is of course we're watching a tv he'll start throwing in references to movies whether they're you know kind of incidental or substantial it varies by song but for example here in addition to that song reference we get we also there's there's like there's wizard of oz vibes we got the tornado we got the road turning from color to black and white and these are like ah great things that i don't think necessarily carry a lot of weight in this particular song but it sort of introduces you to the idea of hey we're going to talk about this is something we're going to do we're going to just pepper in uh pop culture references and movies and tv shows and songs and it's great i got um, that for the playstation though i thought it was like oh okay i like that you know this just just dropped in here i feel like i can expect <laughs> more like that the, the kind of tone from this right yeah i think that's an it's another thing that just shows how there's a lot of intent behind yeah the way this album is organized and you know all the little details and i th- I think there's no better introduction to the next song mm. than that because we jump into Fertilizer, which is a 30-second bit. It's basically an ad for Fertilizer. Uh, why it matters. Why it's more than just an ad. Well, first, it's an ad, more of this TV motif. But also, the full song is about, um, what do you call this? Uh, unrequited love. It's sort of a continuation of the previous idea. The song is by James Fauntleroy, by the way. Fauntleroy. The, the metaphor is, I, my love is a garden, and I've been watering it with my tears, and she doesn't love me, <laughs> and I, you know, it needs tears, sunshine, and also fertilizer, and as a result, I'll take bullshit if that's all you got, and it's sort of that desperation, you know, it's a, it's a pretty basic song, but it's, it's, it's a great, it's even better when it's integrated here, because it's like, oh, look, this little 30-second jingle means something. And 98% of the listeners probably had no idea. That's yeah, right. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing, you know, just... 
but you dig cool. in you dig in as far as you want and i promise i'll lay off a lot of these details soon but i want to make the point <laughs> that these are in there if you fucking look uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's a continuation of Unrequited Love, but also an introduction to, you know, ad speak is, is how I put it in my mind. And then we sort of get into this, the cluster that is about money, which is probably mm-hmm. the most evident and impactful in that way. Uh, anyone want to talk about those or should I continue my monologue? I will continue my monologue. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, with the, for example, the, the next pack of the, songs, the, we got the money songs. Well, the next song Sierra is Sierra Leone. Leone. Is that about money? I think it starts it's a, to be. It's about a guy who didn't pull out. Yes. And then... It's about fertilizer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. But I like I, I, in song. the... I like it as well. Uh, yeah. In the in the setup of the song, you get that the two characters, this, this couple, this young couple, they live at home. They've got minimum wage jobs. They're behaving like teenagers, mm-hmm. which implies they are not teenagers. And that's right. She, he, I just ran out of Trojans and, you know, they, they, they're doing it. And it's a very sultry, sultry, uh, song. The soundscape is great. Um, but I think, uh, the, the, the pivot there is the, this, you know, signaled by this key change and also key change meaning, uh, should we explain it? We should probably explain it. Sarah, do you think, nah. or is that too much? All right. I think everybody knows what a key change is. Edwin, do you know what a key change is? It's, it's you know, where you hold your keys. That thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. The song changes key. It, you know, it has a different feeling. It's a different set of notes. Yeah, basically, most songs are written in one key where they use like eight notes. And then pop music often stays in one key. And then a key change is when you, if you use a key change, it feels really different. So there's a key change, and it's basically the birth of the child. Yeah, right, and, right. I got that. And what's great is you show basically the gist is, hey, I'm going to love this child. I'm going to be committed to my partner. We're going to do this, even though the odds are against them. They have no money. Uh, I think yeah. I, I, I got the whole meaning of this song the first time I listened to it. And I think it does a fantastic job at conveying that birth. It really feels hopeful that that second part mm. of the song. Uh, I, that's why I mainly like it. Actually, is that that key change, as you call it? Yes. <laughs> uh, so then, after Sierra Leone, story about uh, people without means. We jump into story about people with means. Yeah. Uh, Sweet life, Sarah. You like this song? Do you want to talk about it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's very groovy. It's kind of. He starts out talking about the the Black Beverly Hills is what he says, and he's talking about people with all these luxurious things. People are taking pills to kind of keep this, um, I guess, like illusion going that you know they have everything they want. And um, I think the the line from the song that is the most powerful is "Why see the world when you've got the beach?" Yeah. So to right. me, it's kind of he's he's talking about. Um, you know, not looking past what's right in front of you, like, or, you know, these, that's what these people are doing. And, um, I thought maybe it could possibly be linked to like the, the story from the open letter, you know, maybe he's, um, frustrated at this, this guy who's not, who doesn't want to look past what he currently has, you know, with his girlfriend. Um, or maybe it's just more generally about, you know, Mm -hmm. people, especially these rich people who are just closed minded to, you know, things that are going on outside their, you know, perfect little world. Um, 
How do you yeah, think I overanalyzed this song when I was listening to it? Go for it. I want to hear it. I want to hear it Because so I, <laughs> I think in the end, the song is just about this perspective, about these people who have this good life. And, you know, this. I, why see the world when you've got the beach? And, of course, here I think the world, he means, like, all the, the, the bad things in the world, the things that could change your perspective of how your life is a part of that world, how they impact it. Um, but I was trying to figure out if there was actually a character in here that he's trying to convince about that, how how stuck that perspective is. I don't think there is, but mm. I spent a lot of time trying to think if there's something like that in here, but I, I don't think so. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, I don't know that there was a clear narrative or character in that yeah. regard, but yeah. I, I Something I did like is that there also seems to be, in addition to like, you know, repeating the chorus, why see the world when you got the beach? Yeah. You you have the bridge, which is, you know, another change in sound, but also... <laughs> oh, so good, so good. <laughs> it's so good, it's great. What a soundscape. Uh, a change in sound, and uh, it's it kind of gets eerie for a minute, and you got... Um, the message there is essentially that the outside world is creeping in. The neighborhood is going, going batshit crazy. And I think the second verse is also about that. You know, Treya can't turn the signal fully off, things like that. So it, it's it's not mm-hmm. so much like a monolithic, I've got money, I live my blue pill life, which is a Matrix reference, water's blue, swallow the pill, moving on. Yeah. There's also a bit about, uh, it's not perfect, um, which is nice. It's a nice touch. Um mm-hmm. And then lastly, we get like, uh, not lastly, penultimately on this money section, we get the, the, the direct rant that is not just money, mm-hmm. where it's a, a mother telling her son like, hey, uh, money's super important. But more than that, money is the difference between happy and sad. But more than that, it's homeless and not and so on and so forth. Uh, and I like this uh, this little bit a lot. I used to skip it every time because I thought, I don't want to hear this shit. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's great. Because it's the one counterpoint to the songs around it, um, which are basically talking about excess and luxury. And I, I like that it's also not positive, um, because essentially you find it at the end, oh, this, this, this whole 45-second rant is about $7. <laughs> <laughs> this woman just went on, a tirade on, her, you know, on this tirade at her son, you know, the damage to the relationship that money is having in contrast to the other things that money does. And here's where I will introduce one last element of how sort of this album is structured. And it, it's it's sort of cubist within this group, these groupings, because you get like different perspectives of the same thing and they do not reconcile at all necessarily, but you get them anyway. And I think that's nice. That's sort of, well, that's how it works. Like it or not, that's uh, your perspective. I like this. <laughs> I like this bit much better than the next song. So yes, I yeah, think I was it, gonna it's say, very successful. What, <laughs> I want to hear your complaints about super rich kids because that is the catchy. That was the catchiest song for me. It's the most just, direct. What? It's the most overt. <laughs> That's on exactly not just money, though. Like oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, Sarah. On not on not just money. I just wanted to mention that it sounds like it's also coming through the TV. Um, yeah, yeah, the sound quality kind of drops in and out on a lot of these, yeah. I was trying to figure yeah, out so I, if it was a skit, too. I was like, uh, is this a skit he's watching? I wasn't quite sure. Right. So I don't know, like, how that... Maybe it, like, relates to him specifically in a different way. I hadn't really quite figured that out, but... 
Um, hmm. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. I do know that the the rant was actually recorded from the mothers of one of the people in their group, the Odd Future group. Yeah. Uh, so, like, it's a real thing. Um, hmm. I think it's a strong way to counterbalance the previous song because, yeah. you know, here's the world. This is the world these people are not seeing. Yeah, I mean, same thing with the with Sierra Leone, too, I guess. I mean, I'm just kind of realizing it now, but it's like through this section of songs about money, it's kind of alternating, right? Right. Like Sierra, Sierra mm-hmm. Leone, like you said, they don't have the means. And then Sweet Life is about the people who are rich. And then you have yeah. uh, not just money, which is, again, $7. And then super rich kids. <laughs> Obviously, people are super rich. So it's kind of yeah, going, and- going back and forth to these different perspectives, like you were saying. Yeah, and the level of happiness is not like it's not directly correlated. Like it's not saying like money will make you happier, money will make you shitty. It's just saying here are things that happen with money. Um Rich kids. Super rich kids. Edwin, why do you hate super rich kids? <laughs> I don't hate <laughs> Wait, it. Hang on. I... Let me introduce it. We got a yeah, Benny yeah. and the Jets piano riff. Yeah. We got yes. uh, Earl Sweatshirt <laughs> is fucking, you know, laying down beats about how these kids are uh they have money, they have no parent supervision, and uh, they're just unhappy and disconnected from the outside world, in contrast to the sweet life people. Uh, I rather like the, the, the sweet life people. Moving on. Edwin, tell me. Once yeah, again, what's not to like? It's a problem with me overanalyzing. I'm like, who is this rich kid in this this character in here? Is there a meaning for this? It, because I just, I just don't <laughs> want to take this on face value. And then it's, to me, I think it's better when I have to try and parse the story that gets these characters in these songs than just the songs that are making commentary because I feel like it overstays its welcome. Um, like, I get the point. I think the the lyrics make, convey it beautifully. But, uh, you know, going back to it, I'm like, <laughs> okay, okay, it's still the same meaning. I, I don't need to go back to this. Uh, I do think there's, like, some details that, that I think make it worth it to come back. I don't know that they like go all the way down the rabbit hole, um, but well, I I don't know that I agree because you do get you you do get a clear narrative, you do get clear characters, you do get clear I, motives. I would disagree. Did you not see? Did you not I, see I had to read the damn lyrics to understand what's that's, going on in this song. There's a lot of depth to these lyrics in in how they convey what they're saying, and I like it when I read it. But in the song, it just it's just yeah. What? <laughs> that is Jaguar. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, I think maybe this is you know this is where many rewatches you know, might help. Yes, spoken word. No, I was gonna say like rap and spoken word is a certain density that maybe just is hard to pick up on first go. I agree. Um, I agree. Um, yeah, I I think there's a lot of great wordplay here. You know, it's mm-hmm. not necessarily it's not like world changing, but you know, <laughs> bowls of weed versus bowls of lucky charms is a great image. Wine they can't pronounce <laughs> is a great image. Uh I I I was thrown off <laughs> I was thrown off when I first heard this song by the shower head bit because I thought, why are they bragging about a shower head and oh then I realized it's oh no, they're having sex in the bathroom. Oh um <laughs> Yeah Throughout the whole thing, we get the idea these kids are unhappy, they're angsty, they're angry, their parents, uh, their parents, uh, well, rather, this kid's parents aren't together anymore, they cheated on each other, so on and so forth. It propagates into him being alone up in his penthouse suite, uh, and he's hanging out by the ledge with his girl. He's on a metaphorical ledge. He, in the end, he's, you know, falling over, his girl grabs him, 
but the suit sleeve rips off and he falls. And then more wordplay about the market's down 60 stories. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know, Edwin. What's not to like about this? It's no, no, direct. No, 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 no. I'm not debating <laughs> the quality of the lyrics. They're fantastic. And when okay. I read it again, I'm like, oh, there's some good stuff here. <laughs> but on a blind listen of it, it goes too quickly to internalize them. I see. I see. I, I don't. I think it's it enjoyable that. to listen to, regardless. Oh, yeah. Though, like I don't. Like the the first time I listened to it, I don't think I got the entire message. You know, Absolutely more. I just not. more got like, okay, he's he's just talking about these people who are rich and you yeah. know, don't appreciate what they have. And then, but it's it's still enjoyable to listen to. Yeah, I just think Sweet Life cap- captures that better. <laughs> well, it's a different story. It's I different guess, thing. but yeah. the story feels less easy to follow here. And so I don't want to do both at the same time. I mean, I think part of it, it's also like kind of related to the love theme too, though, right? Because like part of it is like searching, searching for real love is like kind of repeated a couple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if that's maybe it's like um, parental love just because, you know, they talked about the parents neglecting their kids or just the fact that everything in this like rich world is fake and he's searching for something that's real. That's what I um, took. That's what I took out of it. Yeah, yeah. But that's great. Um Earl Sweatshirt's verse is so good. The the because the whole time he's emphasizing this ah vowel sound. Um and it's just a great assonance. Oh, that's the word. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> It's a great thing to notice. It catches your ear every time. And, you know, the, the, the clearest way I can sort of present that is, you know, what sounds better? You know, ah, you overpaid for shit weed because you don't know better or purchasing crappy grams with half the hand of cash you handed is like, ooh, you know, it's got that spice. Uh, but Sends anyway, you chill down your spine. It really does. It really Not does. Not Edwin's, though. <laughs> uh, anyway. So that's our that's Pilot super drugs. rich kids. Drugs. Super rich kids. It closes. It closes the money thing. I think what's great is you know right. we kind of get another ad moment because some guy when you're flipping between channels you get an interlude. that's like a fantastic opportunity. So now we've closed the money episode. Uh, now we're about to transition into the sort of addiction episodes. Uh, and I got, feel like the the little TV interlude is also kind of an indicator of that, right? Exactly. Exactly. So we're moving into Pilot Jones and Crack Rock. Uh, Pilot Jones is about, well, you, you, you use the song starts with like airplane no- noises. And then the, the actual song goes on to tell us about this guy and his love for a woman is like an addiction. She is his Pilot Jones. She gets him high. Jones, of course, being like when you're jonesing for something, you know, yeah. it's some sort of addiction wanting something. Um... Yeah, so that's that's sort of the the the, the premise. Oh, I completely, um, absolutely did, r- completely incorrectly take this song the first time I listened to it. <laughs> uh, I thought this was about weed. <laughs> I see, <laughs> like actual weed. Uh, and once I read the lyrics, I think it made it a lot more clear in how he's using this whole thing to to describe that first love sort of feeling. Um. Mm. I, but at first, I, I didn't, I, I didn't listen to it close enough to to catch this. So, I like his song. Yeah, it it, it really captures that elevation of of emotion very well. Yes. Um, so. Uh, you 
I think to that point, like you get another one of those. It's like the childbirth moment. You get yeah, another break yeah. in the song where you kind of come above the clouds. Part of the yeah. instrumentation falls away. You're kind of left with a pulseless, you know, synths kind of floating around, birds sounding. You know, I feel like I haven't slept in days. And then, you know, you you end on a perfect cadence, and it's like ah, this is great. <laughs> um, I think it's also interesting how he like. It seems like he's pretty hesitant about it too um yes which is kind of you know again it makes sense because with the drug comparison but it's like he it's almost like he thinks he shouldn't do it and then but he does it anyway because it's it feels good right she's bad news she smokes if her mom if his mom comes around or something like this so he doesn't do that anymore but she's a great lay and has the sweetest kiss he's ever known another Mm -hmm. note Pilot, meaning first episode of a TV show, Pilot Jones, first love, sweetest kiss. Maybe that's a thing that I read online. Great. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, Sarah, you made a note of this, and I actually didn't, I didn't notice, I didn't bring this overtly in my mind until you said it, uh, about the transition to Crack Rock, right? Yeah, so I mean, I don't know if it's real or if it's just something I kind of thought about when I was listening to it, but at the end of Pilot Jones, there's like maybe 10 or 15 seconds without where the song is over, but you still get these plane noises, and it almost sounds like a plane like kind of falling in the air, you know, like you get the kind of slowly, and then you're right into crack rock. And so it, uh, I mean, to me, it kind of reminded me of like maybe a plane crashing or like this addiction kind of you know, spiraling downwards, slippery slope, and then now we're talking about crack. Yeah, it's I, I really like this song. I, I really enjoy the, 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 the sort of lurching jazz organ that we get. It's sort of the musical equivalent of a word painting where, like, you yeah. kind of feel the staggering from uh, the, the organ sure, doing yeah. its thing. Um, like what Sarah said, it's, it's almost like here this music will present you part of the story. Um, and, and especially, it's also like a, go ahead. I was just gonna say the themes I think are kind of heavier than in the previous song, which kind of oh yeah, you know, it goes along with the the plane crash thing. But you know, before he's talking about love, you know, it feels like being high, whatever. Now he's talking about how crack, you know, can destroy someone's life, and then talking about crooked cops, crooked cops dying, and how people care a lot more about a cop dying than about his brother dying. Yeah. But and nobody does anything to solve the corruption because they all just want to get high. It's, you know, it's heavy stuff going on. Yeah, it's a heavy yeah. song, and I think it conveys that very clearly with the music choices here. I like it. I like it a lot better than Rich Kids, even though it has that oh same God. sort of, like, <laughs> f- you know, foot forward presenting what, what it's about. I think especially with the second part of the song where it gets into the cop stuff that I really, it really makes the song shine better for me, you know, instead right. of just being downbeat, at least it gives meaning to that downbeatness context right. for it. And I think yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. On top of that, the details on how like your life sort of falls away from you. Mm-hmm. Um, are really nice. Uh, how it, well, your, your mom won't let you, uh, hold the kid now or like the, yeah. the grandson it's like oh that's like a, just a little detail that conveys so much uh another another thing here is is the word play which i really enjoyed about tying sexuality and um tying sexuality to the drugs 
that's why making it's hard to say just it's about drugs because the yeah. previous song is about addiction to a woman so it kind of bridges those two ideas uh the right. freaks ain't trying to sleep with cracky right <laughs> uh boy um right but the first verse right uh Middle Arkansas, Little Rock with that Glastic, Little mm-hmm. Rock, Arkansas, Glastic introducing the sexual element, used to date a blonde and used to hit it raw, referring to both the woman and uh, the quality of cocaine, or crack, I don't really know. Um, crack cocaine. Because she was, and you are <laughs> madly involved, which is, this. that's the best line, because she was, and you are madly involved. Again, the topic of unrequited love here, because, you know, you were both in it, She's now not in it, but are we talking about drugs? Or are we talking about, you know, love or intimacy? And it's great. Um, I think that's my last note on Crack Rock, other than <laughs> love that organ, you know? Uh, <laughs> oh, double entendre. Moving on. This is where we... Next is the big one. The, yeah, it's the big one. So we got Pyramids, 10 minutes long. It's a, it's a doozy of a song. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are tracking. What are we tracking, Edwin? While I find my notes on this, what are we tracking? Oh my goodness! There's this woman called Cleopatra, but I think the song isn't really about that relationship with the main character here. At first, it's like a retelling of Cleopatra. Yeah, I think there's uh, kind of two halves to yeah, the song. Right? Yeah, there's two halves to the song. The first half is more of a contextualization of I think African American history from the greatness of the ancient Egyptians to, you know, having to make ends meet now in, in modern America, for example. Mm-hmm. I think it conveys that well. I, I like all the lyrics here. It's just, oh, it's it's great. It's great. And at first I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot there. And I, I it took me reading the lyrics to really connect the two halves of this song together. Um, right. Yeah, I think the first time I listened to it, I totally didn't like think about the Cleopatra stuff at all. And <laughs> during the second half of the song, I heard she's working at the pyramid tonight, yeah. and somehow I did immediately click, okay, she must be a stripper in Vegas because there's that <laughs> the Luxor or whatever it yes. is that looks like a pyramid. But that's pretty much as as deep as I got into it from the first listen. I think they're definitely overtly referring to the Luxor. But anyway, yeah, I mean, we we got these two these two halves. The first one where we present this sort of fairy tale uh, fantasy of going back in time, talking about you know the main character is a lover. Cleopatra runs off, and then he's sort of bemoaning her loss to some Samson. In the middle of the song, we've got this interlude of just again ambient sounds, key change, and then a sudden jump into like this really uh, club kind of. You know, just like, imagine laser lights. That's what's going on here sonically. And <laughs> it's electronic. <laughs> it's yeah. it's something else. And then it presents the story of Cleopatra, the prostitute in Las Vegas. Uh, it's as told by the other two men, or by the two, by two men in her life, one being her pimp, uh, who has, like, you know, hangs out in a motel, <laughs> but yeah. brags about Pays it like bills. it's, you know, yeah. something substantial. Right, and then the second character being the sort of the spurned lover in a way, because he honestly loves Cleopatra, and she her love is not free anymore is the line. And I think a great detail here. She got bills to pay. 
Well, the pimp has bills to pay. He's the one that is talking. Because what's interesting is Cleopatra doesn't speak for herself in any mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're told by the, the spurned lover huh. in the dream sequence, which we then assume is the spurned lover in the second sequence, um, and then the pimp. Um, one detail I enjoy of this is, is a pr- little pronoun switch. When the pimp is talking, you know, got your girl working for me. She's da-da-da. She's doing this. She's doing that. And then we jump to uh, the spurned lover, and then he says, you. That's a tiny detail of directly addressing Cleopatra. You, sh- you know, I'm bathing your body, for example. But it's also really intimate. It's, it's about making love, mm-hmm. not just like, you know, doing it. Um, so that's a great contest contrast. Um, yeah. Those Egyptian electro beats are, uh, Oh, uh, so good. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> now here's, here's a point that I don't think is that impressive, but people really react to this. Uh, you know, the, the main motif is an ascension and a dissension, um, uh, of pitch of, of notes. And if you draw that out, that is a pyramid. Ooh. Um, <laughs> which is yeah, a right, little right. detail doesn't sell me on anything it's just like oh well I guess maybe that's true maybe that's not doesn't matter but neat uh, yeah I, I think we're kind of underselling in this very oh yeah no it's absolutely I mean it's it's it's, <laughs> uh, it's dense it's long it's good <laughs> and they're also I think I think that the biggest point is like there's like a like 30 seconds or something like this at the end where it's just like sparse instrumentation and a guitar he's Frank says air guitar and then you just hear guitars going for a while and it's almost like hey let's ponder about the sad sad situation of this guy who has lost his queen so to speak right. and uh, is now paying to be with her yep <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, it definitely makes you think. I was also kind of wondering, like, trying to figure out exactly what the story is. Like, was this guy in love with Cleopatra before she became a prostitute? And if so, like, if they were together, why does he have to pay for her love now? Or maybe he's just, you know, upset about it. Maybe she doesn't love him back again with the unrequited love mm. thing because, you know, she's just, whenever he talks about her, she's leaving pretty much. Yeah. Um, well, I thought it relates to that line earlier where it says, I found you laying down with Samson and his full head of hair. I found my black well, that's in the first, queen Cleopatra. the first half of the song. Yeah, but they're related. Right. They my, can, thought, yeah, my, so. my thought is that she cheated on him with the Samson character. They broke up. He's still attached to her. But because they broke up, Cleopatra's only going to go up to him when he pays her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be. I guess I wasn't really relating the first half and the second half in terms of like the characters in the story. No, I think you have to. Yeah. Uh, and I think part of that is um, you just have to, Sarah. Because... <laughs> okay. <laughs> because the, I'm the sorry, first... I got I... it wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I think I think you gain a lot from it. Um, and here I am writing checks. I don't know if I'm going to be able to cash. But the, the sort of the linkage is clear. In that we have, again, this sort of dreamlike air to the first half where it all, you got reversed, like, synths, I think. They're reversed samples. Oh, the drums are reversed. It all feels very, you know, fantastical. And so this whole idea of waking up from a dream comes up in in the album a lot. So it's not too surprising that maybe that the Samson is the pimp, 
the guy talking in the first half is the guy talking in the last half, in the last section. Right. Uh, yeah. I would like to add that I, it's it's a nice continuation, as Edwin mentioned, of the uh, the parallel of the experience of black women going from like you know queens of Egypt to prostitutes in Las Vegas. Somebody said to that, and also the parallel to the previous song where we talk about what happens to men subject to black men subjected to sort of the crack epidemic and all of that jazz, which parallels, you know, it all kind of strings mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Uh, so then we have another cubist abutment <laughs> where we have a similar sort of relationship in the song Lost between a drug dealer and his drug mule girlfriend. But it's oh, yeah. a very upbeat song. It's like three minutes. Edwin loves yeah. this song. Um, but, you know, they all seem happy. And there is definitely another undercut. But I'll let Edwin rave for a minute here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Edwin, 500 times. I, 500 times. <laughs> what I really like about this song is that, yes, but you've just described that, that relationship between the two characters and how well the song conveys this this um, cycle this woman is stuck in, where she's hoping to get a different life for this to end, but she's sweeped in the thrill of it, as, as the song says. Um, hmm. And the and the way the, the 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 chorus repeats as she's probably doing trips throughout the world, and it just says one more trip. What could it be? It just works, you know. It's 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 just the fact that the song is about that loop, that cycle, the vicious cycle, and it repeats. It's 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 like poetry. It rhymes, <laughs> <laughs> as George Lucas would say. <laughs> and I think yeah, I just I think like... it just really kept catches my eye when I listen to this song. Your ear, <laughs> my, both. I, I imagine. I imagine the trip every time. The images, yeah. <laughs> Los Angeles, wow, what could that be like? Tokyo, Amsterdam. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think also like just the like the upbeat kind of tune in the song um, compared to with what the song is about yeah. kind of assists the message, right? Because it's like this this woman is lost and kind of overwhelmed by like this lifestyle, the partying and the drugs, but it's like she's lost in a way that she's kind of like enjoying it maybe at times. Um, It's a mirage, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's back to that again. Oh yeah. I don't know that we ever hear if she, we hear from her if she's happy, but she seems happy. The guy says, I'm lying to her, but she's happy. There's a Uh, lot of Ellie's from The Last of Us here in this, in this album. (laughs) Tower, yeah, saying? I mean, it just to me, it was it was more like the the guy in the story is using the girl, but maybe she doesn't know any better, which is, I guess, kind of why I got that impression. Like she's just kind of going along with it, yeah. like nothing's wrong. I keep going um, back and forth on what uh, on on the relationship here because they do mention the boss several times. So I don't know if she's doing this because she wants the boss to eventually let her off and have a good life with him, and this character is just looking in wanting to be with this woman I, I i go back and forth on what of whether that's what's going on or if this these two characters are in a relationship and she I think they're and in he a relationship. keeps promising her that life that is never going to come i think that's right. right i think the second right. is right yeah 
Right, yeah, because he talks about how he has her cooking dope on the stove, and he promises she'll be making meals for a family, but yeah. that's not going to happen. But it's... she's just kind of going along with it, like maybe she believes it, which is why it's kind of like that fake happy tune. Right. A note on the on the happy tune, because it does sound very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, a note on the music theory. <laughs> uh, Fred generally puts his monocle on. There we go. Ahem. Generally, it's 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 uh, simple chord progressions. Chord progressions meaning you know you, you, chords are like at a given time the song sounds like this, uh, and if you string enough of them together, you kind of get emotional motion. And typically, you know, uh, Frank it doesn't do anything. Uh, they're simple, but they're non-trivial. Usually, there's like a, they're really common chord progressions of pop music. Often, they're not used. He often writes in a minor key, which is less common than a major key. Edwin, ignore everything I said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this song, <laughs> you know, key. it is a ma- it is a major key, which is very traditional. It is three chords, very simple. Sarah, six one five one. That means something to you. You throw in a major yeah. seventh. So, mm-hmm. what's interesting to me is that it is so simple. It is such a happy little because. Uh, uh, even musically, it's supported in that way. Like, hey, we're gonna make this song sound really happy. Um, mm-hmm. And there's actually not a lot going on. Like, there's not a lot of changes in the song. It's sort of like, here's the chorus, here's the chorus, here's the chorus. So definitely the most danceable, accessible kind of like, hey, straight out the box thing, almost radio single. And it it follows that theme in a way. Um, and then once this song is over, you get this little clip from the TV saying. Faith is the substance. Manos arriba. And, you know, yeah, manos yeah, arriba yeah. implying uh, hands up what the cops say when you get caught. So presumably they get caught. And then faith is the substance is sort of, you know, substance maybe is a a point to like narcotics. But faith is the substance is a line from the Bible. Faith is the substance that hope is that hope is made of or something like this, um, hmm. which parallels the story a little bit because like her hope is that she can settle down one day family of her own yeah uh mm-hmm. but it also serves as a springboard into the next section where we start talking religion and religious overtones um wow yeah nice. i mean these little interludes were <laughs> great <laughs> i spent so long documenting these sir you have no it idea they work they work great it has layers if you know about them <laughs> if that's the thing you gotta listen 300 times you gotta listen 600 times there you gotta you gotta you gotta keep listening um don't don't listen to anything else um yeah, then we got White, which is a musical interlude. John Mayer doing a solo, sparse instrumentation. I think it's maybe just to set some space between mm-hmm. the yeah. the action that is lost and my notes for it were okay. Yeah, I mean, it was. <laughs> I just wrote okay. <laughs> it was it was fun. It's there. Uh, faith is a substance of things hoped for. Uh, I have in my notes here. Finally, um, and now we're gonna jump into the religion section, which, like I said, is more about. Um, Less so talking about religion and actual faith and more of using it as an instrument to view love through and maybe comparing love to religion. <laughs> so we have monks. Edwin hates it because it's about groupies. Um, no. It's this wild, <laughs> dynamic, C major, simple chord, this really great bouncing bass. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a fun song. It's pro- it, was, it used to be my favorite song on this, just on how high energy it was. Um, oh, interesting. 
Yeah, I feel like I need to listen to this one more, like this section of the album, I guess. Yeah, um, I, mm, it's mm. dense. But yeah, <laughs> I don't care too much about this song. It it feels messy to me, not messy in sonically, just in in how it delivers the music and and the story. I don't know. It doesn't feel elegant like the rest of this. <laughs> And it, does it, and it does it, yeah, I don't feel it catchy. It's not very catchy for me. So, I think these are very personal reads. I don't I agreed, know that many people. If we, if we took a survey, <laughs> if we took a survey, <laughs> I'm kidding. That is your interpretation, and it is what it is. Um, yeah, to me, of, a to lot me of these references like, today. Uh, go ahead, Sarah. To me, it seemed like this song, I mean, maybe this isn't right, but it seemed like this song was kind of calling out actual you know, religion. Um, for being restrictive of certain kinds of love um mm. yeah, like we we start out in this oh. it seems like we're in we're in like a concert setting um there's monks in the mosh pit don't really know what that's about maybe these monks are just trying to escape like their very restrictive lifestyle <laughs> um and then he talks about some young lovers needing to run away um which seems like a journey that like never ends you know and i got the sense that like their religion was kind of restricting them from being together and that's why they needed to run away um huh. and then in the end they talk about yeah I, I i don't know that's that's what i got Wait, from it where and are the, the monks end, in the mush oh i see that, that I, I that's what about the song's that. about <laughs> sorry i i, I, the song I is just remember monks. the uh <laughs> yeah but i thought the monks are the groupies so, yeah that's the thing the alternate reading i liked sarah's reading literal reading there because it brought about that idea of restrictive religion which is like oh that's neat and also plays well with the queer topic at hand um, right yeah uh i think the, the my read was always like oh they're they're comparing the sort of ritual of concert going to a religion like ah you know we're all hanging out here the dalai lama is the performer we're all mm -hmm. just invested in this uh but then it doesn't play as well with like the second half which is why i like sarah's because the second half is um about forbidden love being preserved again a okay, yeah, so, contrast yeah. to many of the other <laughs> relationship shown but that's all i'll say to that um <laughs> yeah i mean looking i'm looking back at the lyrics now and so it's like there's kind of there's a reference to hinduism and it talks about a girl finding a boyfriend and wanting to run away so maybe it's something you know related to arranged marriage they need to get away from that um and then at the end there's this thing about a coke white tiger that guides and protects them until the end. And I guess the white tiger, you know, maybe is a religious symbol, but maybe it's also another reference to like the drugs. Yeah. Um, yeah. What yeah. I, what I had written here uh, was hedonism presented as Nirvana was, was yeah. the sort of the, the catch all. Yeah. I think uh, that that's right. But then the, the tie into forbidden love that is preserved is not great. That being said, the idea of it being drugs that kind of keep them together. sort of like the new experience of it all, the, the thrill of it all is, also interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it also kind of seems like maybe they don't. I don't know if they make it or not because it says there's there's a monsoon that never ends. They're lost, and then the white tiger kind of guides and protects them. So I don't know if they just you know are there drugs keeping them together? <laughs> Is that what's going on? Jeez. And what is the yeah? I know. I I think you're exactly right, Sarah, in that pointing out that I don't even. I'm not super confident in my readings of these last songs. They're they're kind of they're kind of opaque, kind of hazy. Um, yeah. So continuing on the religion theme, we step into probably the uh, the pit of despair, the real emotional upswell that is bad religion. It's also quite overt. Uh, 
Great where song. Frank, where Frank, with unrequited love weighing on him, you know, can't talk about it with anybody. So he walks into a taxi and he's like, hey, I'm going to pay you to listen to me talk. Uh, and then, you know, the driver <laughs> says, Allahu Akbar. And then that has like, oh, God help you or something. Um, which prompts a tie into religion and prompts this then discussion in the chorus is about unrequited love as a one-man cult. Yeah. And that is pleasant. <laughs> there are references to Jonestown with cyanide in a styrofoam cup, you know, cult suicides. Um, and then there's sort of the, we return to the idea of Frank grappling with sexuality, assuming Frank is the character here. It's a very <laughs> heavy song. Uh, and yet, I don't know why, but that first time he says Allahu Akbar and Frank responds, <laughs> don't curse me. <laughs> it's so funny to me. Yeah, it is a little amusing. <laughs> it just grounds the scene to me. It just makes it yeah. feel like this is happening in the moment. Um, That's true. Yeah, for me, like the first time I listened to it, I guess I um, just like at a surface level, you know, I had the ideas in my head about like the struggling with sexuality. And so I was thinking, okay, this is just about, you know, religion and how religion and homosexuality don't really mix very well. But then the second time listening through, there's this whole idea about how it's not really about religion. It's about how unrequited love is like a bad religion. It's like that one man cult. Um Maybe it's the taxi driver is telling him he needs he needs religion he needs prayer, and then Frank is like no I, maybe <laughs> but he doesn't really need that because he's already got this unrequited love you know it's bringing him to his knees yeah um, he doesn't need more of it <laughs> right so I think it's yeah I don't know if I fully understand it still but I guess that's kind of what I got out of I it. did not have the context of that bisexuality when I listened to this so my reading was mm -hmm. Sarah's pretty much and and the feeling is very well conveyed with the tone of the song and the music even without that context it, it plays very well yeah um, one final note on the music theory <laughs> please just listen um, dissonance dissonance is used here dissonance is used throughout like you get like jazz chords and like some non-diatonic chords tossed in just for spice uh, in certain key moments and here Mm -hmm. uh, when he's saying "love me," you've got this. Uh, I th I want to say it's a basically a half step away or something like this. He's like slightly out of key, or not out of key. This is intentional. It makes it sound bad, but there's a strong dissonance as he's saying "love me" between his voice, which is playing a G natural, and the chord around him, which is playing a G sharp minor. I think maybe seventh. Yeah, I mean, I think that like the that dissonant feeling also just really highlights the the pain and the struggle of the song. Yep. Yeah. 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 Edwin, you're going to love this. There's a modulation in it to to make that point. Uh, when he says the words unrequited love, it goes to minor, and then you go back to major for the rest, for the verses. Well, hmm. You had a lot more uh, bits about chord analysis than I expected, Jones. I know. It's been I... an education. <laughs> <laughs> for the people that know, they'll know it's it's nice. It's a nice deal. It's not like particularly <laughs> complex. Uh, yeah, but it no, is. No, it's it, interesting. It's it's one of the things that I wish I had looked had a chance to look more at in the analysis can. of this album. You and can. I, yeah, well, yes, <laughs> there's more time. <laughs> um, Big matter. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Pink Matter uh, is another 
pretty interesting one. It's um, a toughie. It's a toughie. <laughs> I mean, it's I'm not- pink matter vagina again. Yay! Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I got that. But I was like, mm. but I can't tell if he's kind of struggling with the idea that maybe. Um, getting pleasure from women if he's trying to find like meaning in that for himself Mm. um and like whether it's like pink matter it's just like a an object versus like something more um yeah i don't know yeah yeah. it was a confusing one i think that's exactly i think that's something to be said with that uh is is what is the woman is she just a container for the child that's off pink matter right right and then the bit about pleasure over matter. Eventually, he chooses pleasure over matter. I don't know. You know, it's not. It's not immediately clear to me what the matter is here. I don't but like yeah, the it's, idea it's... of the matter being the vagina because comparing it to Imagine Boo makes me feel very queasy. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine Boo is from Dragon Ball, Evan, right? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, I just don't associate that with with anything vagina pleasure related. So what I, from what I, I don't understand, think many people do. Yeah, from yeah. what I understand, Majin, Majin Buu turns things into candy and then eats them, so it plays well with the cotton candy line yeah, yeah, and yeah. the close mice and fall into you line, which is but he's you know, also it pink. is what it is. He is also pink. And That's important. Mission mission critical that yes. he's pink <laughs> for your folks out there who have not seen Dragon Ball. <laughs> right. Um, so I think I think sort of the progression of the matters. Here is interesting because you start with gray matter. He's you know talking about oh uh, is the brain just a container of mind? Mm-hmm. He's talking about gray matter, the brain. Then brings up the pink matter as the contrast to that. So maybe that's what the pleasure matter sort of discussion is. Then the verse, the second verse, brings you to purple matter, which is are aliens watching from the purple matter? What if the sky and stars are for show? Does anything matter is what I'm going to take from that. Uh, and in the end, sort of continuing this, giving into pleasure, shouting pleasure a few times, pleasure over matter. Yeah. Because at the end, Frank says, gray matter, blue used to be my favorite color. Now I got no choice, blue matter. And I think that's where the sort of reconciling sexuality bit comes across because pink and vaginas and blue, not vaginas. Um, is that what that is? I think that's what that is. Because I was so confused with that part. I was like, <laughs> what? Now I got no choice. Blue matter. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, I think that's what's going on there. At least at a surface, uh, middle level. I don't know that I 100% get all the moving parts in this, but I think that's a definite trajectory. Um, yeah, the f- what else do I have on that note? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the main bit. I like sort of the tie-in for religion. Obviously, we've got a philosophical uh, point here that he's yeah. grappling with, also a personal point he's grappling with, and he's arguing it with a sensei, presumably just some internal back and forth. It's in an internal struggle. Maybe it's uh, Mr. Satan. Right, I don't know who that is. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sure someone will get that. Uh, that's all right. Everyone uh, doesn't know what a key change is, so... <laughs> I think we're even. Uh, yeah, the Andre verse is about sort of wanting a woman and then saying no for circumstance reasons. I didn't think those two things played well together. It was probably just a matter I of agree. Let's let's bring in Andre because it's cool to bring in Andre. 
Yeah, I guess I was also trying to figure out like maybe if if Andre three thousand was supposed to be like a separate character. Um but it's kinda unrelated to what Frank's talking about, so I don't know if it's I don't know if it's maybe maybe an example of, you know, a relationship with a woman being about more than just pleasure or about the the matter, you know, but Oh, I think that's I right. Don't know. I like that. I think that's right. I think you phrased that well. Um so yeah. Cool. I yeah, pink matter. Very sexy song. <laughs> kind of, maybe. I don't know. There's there's like kung fu in the background. It's it's neat. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I noticed to, that. I'm like, why is there so many? Why is there so much fighting going on? <laughs> well, it's the back and forth. It's the mental sparring. It's from the right. last dragon. More of these references. Yeah, yeah, oh my I god, that. so many. Uh, Speaking of references, yeah. <laughs> this last song is the the reference. We are now entering sort of the conclusion concluding part, and we've got Forrest Gump, which comes back to the thinking about you slant of unrequited love, but this time it's a lot happier. Um, just. You know, you got you got your major key in hand, you got your uh, <laughs> simple chord progression, and you got the story of Forrest Gump. I, if anyone wants to talk about this, please interrupt me because I haven't seen Forrest Gump in a very long time. Me too. Uh, but the, I couldn't remember. I think this is from the perspective of, of uh, what's her name, Jenny. Yeah, Jenny. It's from Jenny's perspective. Right. So in so in Forrest Gump, Jenny and Forrest meet when they're young, and they you know Forrest really likes her, but they don't get together. They go their lives, and they. Reunite from time to time. Eventually, they get married, and then she dies. <laughs> is my understanding. <laughs> and then Forrest Gump, the song, features a little bit of gender bending because Frank is Jenny watching Forrest Gump, and it's explicitly a boy. Right, uh, right, you know, right. he's seeing the word "boy" loads of times. But Forrest runs past the end zone. Where'd you go, Forrest? But in the end, F- Frank Jenny is not sad because this is love. It's true. I will remember you. It's sort of a proclamation of gratefulness to the love that existed. And it ties into the open letter, ties into what Thinking About You is about, that we alluded to a little bit at the end about, yeah, road until it turns from color to black and white. We'll be on this road until it turns from color to black and white. So he would kind of wrap that up, uh, where it's like, hey, yeah, I maybe unrequited love ain't so bad. <laughs> it has a value. Uh, that's my take. That's those are my thoughts. Yeah. I think it's a pretty straightforward. Yeah, song. I think. I think it also nicely. Sorry, sorry. You go. I was just gonna say I I got the same reading from it on the second go around. The first time I kind of thought maybe he was uh, like just sympathizing with Forrest or relating to him because I think you know Forrest in the movie he falls in love with Jenny and then she leaves. Right. So there's kind of that element to it as well, but. Um, then I realized, no, he's talking about loving Forrest, so it's more from that perspective. Uh, yeah, that's all I was going to add. I also thought of it as being in the context of this album of switching channels that maybe he's watching Forrest Gump and having these thoughts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, it's almost like, you know, is this the image that comes to mind is him passed out, you know, half passed out on the couch, you know, time to time changing things. Maybe he's falling asleep. These things kind of come in and then he internalizes them and re-expresses them in some that, way. That is how I completely mm-hmm. took it, yeah. It works. It works, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> note on... Uh, actually, no, you know what? We'll come back to that. Um, yeah, and I, that sort of brings us then to the end, the postlude, perhaps, where it's more of, like, start the the prelude where you're in this 
hazy dream soundscape, you know, stuff fading in and out. Yeah, so the the big reference here, I'm sure you guys saw this in the annotations, is from the movie ATL, um, where this scene plays out between uh, a man and a woman. She tells him, you know, you're special. I wish you could see what I see. They kiss and they go on. Uh, she goes inside and sort of stuff goes on. And in this scenario, Frank, with his really tuned down voice, is the the role of the man. Uh, and then the woman is speaking to him. So to me, this sort of plays as, you know, the fantasy of, you know, despite having just come to terms with the unrequited love, what if it had worked? Because in the open letter, we get the detail that he confessed his love in a car, much like the one that's presented here. Uh, mm. You know how cars are. Um, so yeah, that's that's how that <laughs> reads to me. <laughs> What's a, a good little note is that the, the song playing in the background is another Frank Ocean song called Voodoo. It's about staying together for the kids and emphasizing that the whole wide world is their relationship and their children, which is, you know, cubist contrast to everything we just talked about, is my thought. Um, yeah. End of that spiel. Spiel. What do you guys think? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have much else to add. Like, I read... I I didn't really get the, the whole um, voodoo as a song being overlaid on, like, the the reference. Um, but once I did read about that in the notes, I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty interesting how the, you know, there's a lot of kind of overlapping things going on in this little end segment. Um, and then the TV just turns off at the end yeah. or turns on, I guess, if you thought about it that way. But I think if it's like him waking up, it'd be turning off. Cause like it was the dream sequence. Cause his voice is pitched down. So maybe. Right. Yeah. right. And that's it. Mm. And that's that's the album. Fifty five minutes, I think it is. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, it's so, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we, yeah, we've I touched. Mean, on, go ahead, Sarah, please. No, I was just gonna say, going back to like what you were saying about, um, like the the album as a whole. Uh, I, I I tried to think about why you know, these themes were presented and how they related to him directly. Um, so like, as you guys were saying, like it could be like the protagonist or Frank is kind of sitting in front of his TV. Things are on the background. Meanwhile, he's like either falling asleep or just daydreaming. And then occasionally we hear him like, you know, wake up or whatever, change the channel. Or maybe like we are kind of observing him from the background as he watches the t watches TV and like the songs that are going on are kind of call outs from different parts of his own life. Um, cause mm. like, I guess, you know, some of these things aren't as directly related to like the topic of his unrequited love, but you know, maybe they're things that he was, he had experience with or he was around, you know, environments like this at some point in his life. So I don't know if that's, um, you know, part of why he chose to write about, you know, things like the super rich kids, yeah. Um, yeah. From from my that was sort of I don't want to call it as a, a downside of the album, but the the sort of his story and all these other vignettes don't necessarily play well together. I mean, they he ties them together through you know foreshadowing and like you know we're going to talk about religion, which will transform into me talking about this. So that's really integrated. But I'm just not sure that you know this isn't like two albums or an EP and an album or something like that. I mean, he put them together intentionally. His choice. It is what it is. You know, I'm not saying I could do better. 
uh, it's just uh, it took some sort of mental gymnastics to get to the idea of yeah this is this is the best way to present this. Yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty clear that there are like several different themes and there's like a clear order to them. So I'm like, okay, maybe is this like a chronological telling, uh, like, you know, parallel to things that has ha- have happened in his life? You know, like maybe, I mean, there's Thinking About You, which is like the topic sentence, like I said, so that's not necessarily part of the timeline. But then, you know, there's, it starts out with like the money issues. Um, and I mean, I don't know anything about his life, so I can't say whether this is true or not, but you know, there's the money issues and then that goes into like experience with the drugs and then, you know, things about the women and then struggling with the religion and the sexuality aspect. Um, and then we get back to like the present unrequited love issue. So I don't know if that's like, if that timeline is deliberate, um, but that's just one way I kind of thought about it. Mm. Yeah. I took, a my, my thoughts of it were a lot less focused on what the you know Frank's trying to to sort of say here if anything with that character at the start and more about how it you know works as a whole as a as a you know as a continuous switching of channels hmm. right of different stories and in, in, in maybe someone's life it doesn't need to be him um yeah and yet all of them are fairly different thematically from each other you know, they're grouped into blocks, but they are not really following a, a thread between them. Um, at least that's how I took it. I think it's consistent in how these tracks sound and how you're switching between them to create like the illusion okay. of a single event happening. Somebody thinking through all of this, maybe, but each one of them stands on its own uh, as a separate sort of channel, which I think is sort of what he's going for. Yeah. yeah, I mean that makes sense with the channel motif. Yeah, yeah, on its own, but I, I wouldn't say disjointed from everything else. I'd say, back to the cubist analogy, just putting these perspectives together, not trying to reconcile them. I think that's the important right. part of on its own. But it's just like, hey, here's a lot of things that could happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a lot of emotions that you could feel. Uh, yeah, um, I think I had one more note on on this. I think it's. Yeah, I'm still not 100 percent on why he chose how why he chose to integrate his story into this, how he did. But I think maybe there's an implied statement in here on how like the things we view and the things we consume frame then how we then internally view ourselves, our relationships, our conflicts, so on. It's because we see him sort of doing it, and then maybe we do it ourselves, and maybe that's the step to take, uh, which is kind of neat. But, you know, I think the strongest parts is that, let me show you, like Edwin said, a series of channels that mm-hmm. link together in some way. And it really is a great organizational tool because it's like, let's throw in a bunch of interludes that strengthen <laughs> these You can do whatever you want. Yeah. It, yeah, it's <laughs> anything, but also, anything at all. what's channel orange? Mm, do you guys have any thoughts? Because I have the answer. But do you guys have Where's any thoughts? from? <laughs> Damn it, Jonas, uh, that's not fun. Louisiana? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, is it raised there? Like, I don't know. I was trying to yeah, figure yeah, out. Yeah. Maybe it's just like, oh, he's from like Orange County or something like that. Nope, Louisiana. Okay. No. <laughs> I don't have a guess. I don't know. My only my only thought was maybe... Yeah. Yeah. My only thought was maybe it's like the... I mean, we we saw some other like color type references, like mainly in Pink Matter, where he talks about gray and pink yeah. and blue, and then maybe orange. 
orange kind of ties into that somehow, like where it's like an in-between color. I don't Sarah, know. You're, or maybe Sarah, it's like an angry that, color. <laughs> that's the best. Because uh, that's that's right. I, I like the tie into the other colors because those are sort of symbolizing an emotion or a conflict or a, or a thing. You know, forest green, forest blue, sort of like peaceful colors and then also a sadness to it, for example, in Forrest Gump. Uh, I think the answer can, to the why orange is in a Tumblr post from Frank Ocean long ago that says, Orange reminds me of the summer I first fell in love. Aww. Uh, Aww. <laughs> well, there you go. There you have it. It's it's orange actually that straightforward. Good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it does open up that whole bit about, oh, let's look at more colors and see how else they're used in here. And it turns out it doesn't go that far, but it was neat anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've talked for a really long time, I think. Uh, <laughs> how long has I it do... been? I can't see the clock it's from like don't, two hours. Don't, oh, my. don't look at yes. it. It's been a long time. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear is right. Rip me editing this. Um, <laughs> I did want to throw in Oh god. Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> on I mentioned this before. I mentioned this before about how Nostalgia Ultra ties into the al- this album. You know, the kind of sister albums. The artwork is similar. The, the, the idea of the tape recorder and different vignettes is a similar thing. But what's interesting is that they you know they do progress. Channel Orange is definitely the more polished, cohesive album. Uh, I think you know, Sound Ultra is more of a mixtape. And then what's interesting is, you know, it's kind of more raw and more emotional. You don't get as much nuance in the themes of like, you know, the sort of drawbacks to some of these stories. It's all, it's more like monolithic in each story. Um, and then you can progress to Frank's next album, which is Blonde, which like gets almost experimental and like more abstract and more fucking out there. And the ideas become more refined in terms of this sort of reconciling relationships that didn't work and things like this. So there's a good progression of both uh, artistry and theme. And and it shows that these people are putting themselves into their work. And that's really great. And I think that's a great thing to look for. Uh, Yeah. Yes. Yes, quite. That's into my soapbox. Um, Thoughts, (laughs) final thoughts, closing thoughts. Edwin, please take take us home. And we're giving a rating here? Well, yeah, thoughts and rating. All right. Oh, God. I liked it. I liked it a lot more than I expected to. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it, it definitely... Huh? <laughs> I said hallelujah. <laughs> I was surprised to find songs that I liked to listen to more after reading the lyrics. Mm. Um. And so I think it was a good experience to just give it a go to to dive deep into just internalizing what the, what these songs mean and and then you know take a, a closer reading to them. And uh, I definitely will keep listening to several of these songs for a while. <laughs> um, Success, mission yeah. accomplished. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I will uh-huh. give it and my first non-number rated rating. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a nice cold cup of pulpy orange juice. Wow. <laughs> pulpy. <laughs> uh, gross. Sarah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I 
enjoyed the the process of kind of going through this album and analyzing it. I wasn't sure if it was just going to be tedious, but there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. And as I've already said multiple times, there's more stuff that I definitely missed. Um, so I think it's cool to have an album where there's so many deliberate things, you know, kind of worked into it that you have to, I mean, it's, it's a bad thing that you have to work to like figure stuff out Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's obviously a lot of it that most people probably would miss upon first listen or, you know, maybe first 500 listens if they don't actually (laughs) Google things. Um, but at the same time, once you do look into it and realize those things are there, it's like, Oh, cool. Like I, I found a little secret. Um, which is, you know, it's a pretty interesting experience. And yeah, the the album itself, I enjoyed it. I'll definitely, you know, keep listening to it. I'd recommend it as an album, even if you don't want to like, you know, read into it as deeply as we did. I think it's, it's musically, it's a good album. Um, And yeah, uh, for my rating, I'll give it a large bowl of mangoes and peaches. God damn That's it. That's a good one. Mm, yeah, Was that yours? That one too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, we'll see. Great. I just came Glad up you guys with it now. It. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I, I did it right before recording, so that sounds right. Oh, boy. Um. Yeah, well, I'm really glad you guys enjoyed it. You know, I was hoping it wouldn't be tedious. I'm glad it came out to not be tedious. Uh, obviously, I love the album. Phenomenal songs, enjoyable at every level. Phenomenal vignettes. Enjoyed at every level. You can dig into them, like Sarah said. Great springboard. Make sure to check out that podcast if you want to hear more detail. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, that was Channel Orange. And I think uh, what my, my take on that was a, uh, uh, my food rating was a mangoes, peaches, and crying, so much crying. Uh, yeah, <laughs> nice, nice big old bowl. Um <laughs> And that's that's the news for today. Uh, any final thoughts? If you've made it this far into the episode, thank God you. God bless you. <laughs> now you are lost. We will send you a sticker. You will just email us. Um, great. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, this is Ben, waiting for stir fry. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. I will point out to the listeners that we do have a mailbag. Uh, if you want to send questions, comments, you know, have you got a cool reading that we didn't get to? Did you see some great details that we didn't? Do you have a suggestion mm. of something we should watch and cover? Send it at waitingforstirfry at gmail.com. We'll buy a domain name eventually, maybe. But until then, waitingforstirfry at gmail.com.